Welcome to Nope, Never Saw It. I'm Gina, a movie lover. And I'm Sonia, a movie not lover. My mission is to make Sonia watch all the movies she's never seen. And my mission is to watch more movies and not always have to say, Nope, Never Saw It. So we started this podcast. We hope you enjoy it. So Gina? Yes, Sonia? I'm ready. Let's get started. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Nope, Never Saw It. I'm Gina, and with me always is the beautiful Sonia. Oh, that was beautiful. Thank you. That came from the heart. It came from, I think the movie Whiplash inspired me to be more musical today. I think so. Yeah. Musical, but not abusive. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. Quite, uh, quite a good setup for the, uh, the episode here. Thank you. That's a little teaser about some of the things I'm sure we'll be getting into today with our discussion. Um, Gina, I just wanted to share with our, um, our audience that you and I look like professional podcasters now. We actually do. And why is that? (laughs) Because after a year of having, um, a podcast, we now both actually have like a microphone head, head phone setup. Microphone headphone is hard to say is two words in a row. Microphone headphone. Yeah. 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 So (laughs) anyway, we just wanted you guys to know that. So if this episode is extra good, that's why. Yeah. We've, we've ramped it up a few Mm -hmm. notches with our special gear. And I think I finally have my microphone figured out this time. Yes. Yeah. I last episode, I had a segment things that are keeping me up at night, but then we didn't get to it. And I forgot about it, or I was so frustrated. I just decided forget it. But two episodes ago, I said something about how I think my mic is working, um, because I can hear myself and there's a red light under the mute sign that's blinking, but that meant that my microphone was actually muted. And that's why (laughs) the sound was kind of crap. And then last episode, I still felt like it didn't sound right. And then I found out here's the thing. This microphone came with instructions, but the instructions are just like six pictures. And, you know, I will Mm -hmm. take some of the blame because I didn't look at them all carefully, but apparently there was, um, some software that I was supposed to download. Okay. Well, that's (laughs) like, I mean, you're being set up for failure. If your instructions are just pictures, it's like Ikea. Yeah, exactly. Give me some written directions to accompany the images and maybe I would be more successful the first go around. I'm just saying. Yeah. I yeah. don't disagree. Uh, well, that's okay because we're going to be talking about whiplash today and I cannot wait to get into this movie with you. Yeah, me too. I'm excited. I have lots of, I have lots of things to say as I'm sure you do too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But before we get into our movie, We are going to start with our traditional friendship. All right. So I almost ruined that by like doing our, like how we used to just like whisper friend share. I almost did that. And then (laughs) then I was like, don't, don't do it. I still feel like I should add a friend share whisper to the end of the sting. Yeah. But I just, I'm too lazy right now. You'll get it. I'll get it. But you know, it's not that I'm lazy and this is part of my French here. Um, my track season has started again. Okay. So I'm not lazy. I'm just super busy. Sonia, I have a million things going on in my brain at a time now. And 
add that to the daylight savings, which apparently may not exist, or I don't know what's going on with that, but I'm just kind of a mess and I'm trying to keep it all together. And I, and every day I'm like, I'm totally fine. And then something will like set me off a little bit and I'll be like, Oh no, I'm not okay. But Mm -hmm. I'm just, you know what? I'm just like plowing through. I'm going to keep moving. And since I mentioned track, I just want to give a little shout out to one of my assistant coaches who is also named Gina. Sonia, she listens to our podcast. And the other day at practice, we were talking and all of a sudden she paused and she looked at me and she says, Oh, I meant to ask, how is your concussion? Because she (laughs) listened to the episode where I talked about when I hit my head. That's so funny. I know. And get this Sonia, you know what she does for a living? What? She has her own dog grooming business. (gasps) Hi Gina. I love you. Right. I knew you would love her right away. Yeah. That must be so fun. Right. She's super cool. So, hey, Gina. Hey, Gina. Thanks thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening. (laughs) You have no idea how much it means to us, (laughs) especially because you work with dogs all the time. So Mm -hmm. Sonia automatically loves you. Well, she should listen to the best in show episode at work. So then the doggies can hear it too. Yeah. That's what she says. She says she listens to it while she's grooming. Perfect. I know. Right. That's great. Okay. Okay. Well, my friend share is, so I hope that you get to take a break soon because it sounds like you're super busy. And so in honor of taking a break, my friend share is to share with you that Sean and I have fully planned our fish summer tour vacation. We're going to be going to 10 shows. Oh my God. I'm so excited. (laughs) Um, and we're going to see them in Maine, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Philly, and also at Jones beach. And I've never been to Jones beach before, uh, like the concert venue there. Have you been there? No. Is that in New Jersey? It's in long Island, long Island. Okay. Yep. So I'm very excited for that one. In particular. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm really excited. And we're it- seeing them four times next month too. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm so really how pumped. many, how many shows total is that going to be for you and Sean after this big tour? Sean will hit 102. Wow. And I will hit what is 102 minus 17. I don't know. That's too much math for me right now. I'm going to do a quick calculation. It feels okay. worth it. Someone, <laughs> someone is screaming the answer because they can do math. 88. Fast. No, 87. No, 80. <laughs> 85, 85. Usually I'm good at math, um, but I'm a little hungover too. Oh, okay. (laughs) I'm hoping this hair, this is a good segue to what our drink is. I was going to say. I'm hoping this hair of the dog is going to (laughs) help. Well, cheers, Gina, to hangovers and taking a vacation. We are drinking a highball, which let's take a sip of. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Hear that ice swirling? I hear it. Um, so I chose a highball because I wanted like a classic jazz club drink. And I Googled jazz club drinks. <laughs> and a highball was one of the options. Um, and just since we the last drink that we did last week was gin, I feel like we haven't done a whiskey drink in a while. So I also wanted to choose that. And this is super easy to make. It's literally just like two shots or however much whiskey you want, plus then like 
you know, some ginger ale, which again, it's supposed to be like two ounces of whiskey, six ounces of ginger ale, but you can obviously play with the proportions however you want to. So that's what we're drinking. I like this drink for many reasons. One, I think it's very tasty. Mm-hmm. And two, like you said, it was so easy to make. I very, it's a very low maintenance drink. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's good when you want to feel fancy because you're having a cocktail, but you don't want to put the effort in. Yeah, exactly. And I will also comment that I'm looking at it right now. The color of the drink is very similar to this, like very brassy hue that we have through most of the film, mm. especially during the, um, the rehearsal sessions. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I think this is super appropriate for what we watched. Excellent. I'm yeah. I aim to please. I know you do. And since you aim to please, I'm going to take one more sip. Okay. I'm watching. She took, you're a sip. watching me take a sip. I didn't just say that I actually <laughs> did it. And then we're going to dive into whiplash. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Okay, here we go. All right, Whiplash was released in 2014, written and directed by Damien Chazelle, starring Miles Teller as Andrew, J.K. Simmons as Fletcher, Melissa Benoist as Nicole, and Paul Reiser as Jim Andrew's father. And Zonia, in the tradition of Note Never Saw It, I have made a list of film titles that are associated with each of these names that I have just read to you. I'm going to share with you what those titles are. If you've seen it, you say, of course, you fucking cocksucker. I've seen this movie. <laughs> I know why that was the prompt. But <laughs> if you have not watched Whiplash, then you're probably like, <laughs> why is Gina being so mean? <laughs> I, <laughs> that didn't co- even. That, <laughs> oh my I God, that totally caught me off guard for a second. It caught me off guard too because I didn't plan to say it. It just sort of came out of me. <laughs> oh my God, you are channeling Terrence Fletcher. I am. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But if you have not seen the movie, Sonia, what do you say? <laughs> nope, I never fucking saw it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, here we go. Now, we already talked about Damien Chazelle when we discussed La La Land. However, I did not mention in our La La Land episode that he wrote the screenplay for 10 Cloverfield Lane. Nope, never saw it. Okay. Uh, Miles Teller, who plays- Wait, 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 I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Wait, what is 10 Cloverfield Lane? That's the one where the dad, John Goodman, um, keeps his family. Yeah, nope, never saw it. Okay. (laughs) Confirmed. Confirmed. (laughs) All right. Miles Teller, who plays Andrew, was in the following films. The Spectacular Now. Nope, never even heard of it. Oh, okay. It's, It's based on a book. It's actually pretty good. Hmm. Um, he was also in the reboot of Footloose. Nope. Never saw, um, the reboot, the reboot or the original. Oh my goodness. Okay. And he was also in that awkward moment. Nope. Never saw it. Okay. These are all really good. And he's also going to be in, um, the new top gun, which I've been waiting two years to see. Okay. And I cannot wait to see it. It's interesting because like, for some reason, I know Miles Teller's name, but I never knew who he actually was. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Moving on. J.K. Simmons, who plays Fletcher, was in the following films, 
Juno. Yes, I've seen that. Okay. Up in the air. I saw that with you. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad it was memorable for you too. <laughs> of course, I, re- I totally remember that. That's the one with Anna Kendrick, right? Yes. Yeah. And George yeah. Clooney. Yep. Did we see that in the theaters together or do we watch no, it? No, that was, that was when we had our secret movie club. Oh, that's right. Okay. What secret movie club, Sonia? We already talked about this. I know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Cause it's a secret. Never mind. <laughs> oh, I understand. <laughs> that was like a fight club reference. Yeah. It's all okay. good. Okay. Annie was also in thank you for smoking. I am not sure. Okay. I, is Brad Pitt in that? I don't Wait. think so. Thank you for smoking. Oh, is, um, Aaron Eckhart. Guy? I have seen that. I saw that. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, all right. And then Melissa Binoist was in Patriot's day. Nope. Never saw it. Neither have I. And Danny Collins. Nope. Never even heard of it. Same. I've not heard or seen any of these films. I know her more from television. Cause I remember she was in glee mm-hmm. and then she has the Supergirl. Yep. No. Okay. Yep. And then Paul Reiser, who plays Andrew's father, Jim, was in Beverly Hills Cop. Nope, never saw it. Aliens. Yes, I've seen that. All right. I forgot he was in that. Yeah, right? All right. And Sonia, in uh, our efforts to prove that the television show Friends is the center of all things, I have found, well, I, I have one friend's connection. Mm-hmm. I wonder, I'm assuming we have the same one and I, I feel have, like you probably have more. I have two, but they're both kind of a stretch. Okay. What are they? Um, well, first is that Paul Reiser was in mad about you and that show is in the same universe as friends. Right. But didn't they have a cameo in friends where they see Phoebe and then they think she's Ursula, but it's, it's, um, Paul Reiser's not in it. Um, oh. it's, it's Helen Hunt and whoever played Fran, who I can't remember oh, the actress's name. Oh, okay. All right. But I, I had the same one that Matt about you is in the same universe as friends. I feel like okay. that totally counts. And then my second one is that Courtney Cox can play the drums. <laughs> She can remember in the video for I'll be there for you. She plays the drums. She does. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't like remember not, that at all. Yeah. Like she doesn't play drums on the recording, but she, in the video, there's like a part where she's playing the drums and she can actually play them. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I feel like our mad about you connection is all we need, but I also I think- like the drum thing too. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Uh, in our last episode, Sonia, I asked you what you thought the movie Whiplash was about, and you gave me a plot summary. Are you ready to hear your original plot summary read back to you word for word? Yeah. And I actually listened to it recently and I was laughing out loud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. All right. So here we go. This is Sonia's original plot summary for Whiplash. I think this is the movie with the drumming. Oh, that made sense with the tummy roll. There is a drum teacher and a kid who plays the drums and it's about their relationship. I think the teacher is probably like a bit of a, like a killjoy. Um, 
And I don't even know if I'm describing the right movie. So next week it's going to be like, okay, what's your real summary? And it's going to be like, there's a farmer and his cow is sick. Like just something completely different from what I said. Gina's laughing a lot. (laughs) I can't believe how, how accurate that was. Um, But (laughs) But then I, I wanted, I looked at the word killjoy because I was like, is that really the right word to use? And mm-hmm. I don't know if I meant to use it in the way that I was thinking it was, but I looked, so here's the definition of killjoy, mm-hmm. a person who deliberately spoils the enjoyment of others through resentful or overly sober behavior. Okay. So I think that's an interesting thing for us to maybe talk about. Okay. Um, but you probably want to hear my actual summary first. Yes, I do. Okay, here we go. Whiplash tells a story of Andrew Neiman, who just wants to be the next Charlie Parker. Andrew's music teacher and jazz, jazz band conductor, Terrence Fletcher wants to create the next Charlie Parker. Sounds like they found the perfect partner in each other, except Whiplash isn't that kind of story. Whiplash is the, the portrayal of two men who want nothing more than the best even if it means hurting everyone in their path, because it's better to live fast, make a lasting impact and die young than to live a life of small significance. Or is it? Oh, I love it. Thank you. It's so good. Before we get into this film, I have a pork loin in the oven and I think the timer (laughs) is about to go off. So I'm just going to go quickly (laughs) take care of that. I'll be right back. Okay. (laughs) Sorry about that. That's okay. I read a work email while you were gone. Ooh, okay. All right. So let's get into first impressions. I know I saw this movie in the theaters. I saw it by myself. And I remember walking out of the theaters wanting so badly to talk to somebody about it, but I didn't know anybody who had seen it. And it was one of those experiences where like, even if I waited a week to talk to somebody about it, I, it, what, I didn't want to wait that long. Like I just had so many things that I wanted to say, um, about, about Fletcher, about the relationship with Andrew, about how, how the film ends. Um, and since then I've watched the film probably about three or four times, not including the time that I watched it for this podcast, but every time I watch it, I have different thoughts about it. Like, and I pick up on, on different things, like little details that sort of help to, um, fill this picture of, of this relationship and what kind of message the film is trying to get across. And there were some things that I found in my research that I thought were really, really interesting that made me look at the film in a different way. Um, and we will talk about these things, but before we do, Sonia, tell me what was your first impression of whiplash? Okay. So you're going to be so proud of me. I watched it in one sitting. (gasps) Oh my God. Is this a nope? Never saw it first. Uh, no, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I, I didn't even intend to necessarily, but I was like, I needed to know what was going to happen. Even though at times it felt like nothing was happening. I still was like, how is this going to resolve itself? Um, and you'll also be proud of Sean because he watched this movie with me. Yay. 
Right. So the reason I'm bringing this all up is that I felt the exact same way. Like, I feel like when Sean and I do watch the movies together for the podcast, like sometimes we'll kind of talk about it, but like, I feel like this movie ended and we like immediately kind of had a conversation about it because I almost feel like when it ends, you feel like you've just gone through something kind of traumatic. Yeah. And you need to talk about it. Yeah. Um, so I would say overall, like I liked the movie for that reason. And I liked that it made me think, but it's like, it's a movie I probably wouldn't watch again because it was tough. It was really difficult to watch for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Which I'm sure we're about to dive into. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of those reasons. What, what did you feel were some of the things that were hard to to digest, we'll say. Yeah. I mean, my first, my first, um, note that I took was how is he allowed to be this mean he being Terrence Fletcher? Like Mm -hmm. I just did not understand how a man in this day or a woman, anybody, any person in this day and age can be that abusive towards students and not have, and not suffer the consequence of those actions. So that was just like his just cruelty and abrasiveness and the way that he communicated with people who he was trying to encourage, which is the mind blowing thing was very difficult to watch. But I think maybe even harder to watch was the torture that Andrew was putting himself through to become the greatest. Um, And it's just like, you want to help. Like, if you think about him and you saw his situation, like manifesting itself in someone that you loved, you would just be devastated that this person is torturing themselves for what they think is going to make their life significant, but their life is already significant because they're in your life. And, you know, the scene where they're at dinner and they have that whole conversation about Charlie Parker. And that first comes up, like, I definitely want to, I want us to break down that scene um, mm-hmm. a little bit more when we are ready for it, which probably will be soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's so much to unpack, but I let's talk about why he gets away with the way he treats his students. I think that's a really good question. If I, if I had to come up with an answer now, which I'm going to, cause we're talking about it. My, my guess would be that his reputation as a musician and the, the final product, you know, like what these musicians are able to do under his tutelage, whether, you know, whether what he does is okay or not precedes anything that I I think that sort of overshadows his treatment of the students. And honestly, I, I would imagine that the students are terrified to say anything, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think, um, it, it seems like when I think about it, it, it seems like a textbook abusive relationship, you know, you have, sure. you have your alpha, your, your domineering, um, figure, and then you have the person who's being abused, who, you know, is really being guided by their fear and they, the what's worse, you know, um, facing, having to be with this person who hurts you or, the fear of what happens if you speak out and try to make it stop. Mm-hmm. You know? well, exactly. Because all they, all they want to do is have the chance to play. And if you piss him off, he's not going to let you play 
possibly even if you're the best person. Um, though I guess that's questionable because he just wants the best person to play, but yeah, I mean, exactly. They don't, no one wants to suffer his wrath. Yeah. And, and I think that he probably, I would imagine that in the position he's in, he holds your future in his hands, you know? So you're going to do whatever it takes. You're going to endure whatever he throws at you. Um, because your future in music is that is it's that important to you, Mm -hmm. um, which is really heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah, I, I think that I, I would imagine that that's why he is able to get away with it for as long as he does. And I think the fact that when Andrew, and it's interesting because Andrew towards the end, you know, speaks against him, but I feel like he's kind of forced to do it. Like he doesn't, he still doesn't really want to. And he's just like, just tell me what to say, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I think even, even doing that, like he still is reluctant to do that, even though he's already been, um, I guess expelled from, from the Academy. And, uh, is at this point his, you know, his dream of becoming, a professional musician has probably gone to the wayside as far as he's concerned. Mm-hmm. So, and even, even under those circumstances, when he has absolutely nothing to lose, he's still extremely reluctant to say anything. Yeah. 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 Which is so true. And it's also interesting, you know, the impact or the power, I guess that Terrence had or Fletcher has, um, even after the student teacher relationship is over, you know, they have this chance running and, and Fletcher still gets him, gets back at Andrew for what happened. And like, that's further speaks to the point of why people don't want to say anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, he just has, he just has that kind of influence. I mean, and even considering the fact that he's fired from this job, but I would imagine sometimes when, when people are fired from a position, uh, the reason why they're fired isn't necessarily made public. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, you could be told that they're not going to fire you, but they're going to say you need to turn in your letter of resignation. And this is for someone who's not tenured. And mm-hmm. we will, if you leave quietly, we will write you, you know, a, a letter of recommendation for your next teaching gig. But the fact that he is fired from Schaefer and then ends up, you know, finding another gig as a conductor, it doesn't seem to be an issue, you know, one part. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and I think like, it's almost like that's the full message of the whole film is that like in that world, what you do and how you do it almost doesn't matter as long as you can create a great product. Right. Yeah. And that's what Okay. This is where I said before that every time I watch the film, I come, I walk away with something different. The first time I saw it, I walked away thinking Andrew bested him. And then the second time I saw it, I walked away thinking, wait, (laughs) is Andrew as good as he is in the end because of what Fletcher did, you know, did Fletcher create his Charlie Parker, you know, through these conventions, through this teaching style that is extremely horrible, 
mm-hmm. you know? And so, so is the, is the film telling us that you need to be for lack of a better term, I don't want to say abused, but like, but yeah, like you need to go through that experience that, that crucible in order to be the best. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's the whole point of telling that story of how, um, was it Joe Jones? Was that his name? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, how Joe Jones threw the symbol at Charlie Parker. And that's what, you know, that cruelty or that like shocking moment is what pushed him then to like become this great musician. But it's just like, is it, is like, is, and, and that's sort of what I was trying to get to in my summary. Like what is actually the cause of any of these things? Like if someone is truly like has that talent and has the drive to practice and get better and perfect what they need to work on to be, you know, quote unquote, perfect. Won't they get there anyway? Like, does it have to be this intense push? I I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't, I don't know, but I mean, going back to that story about Charlie Parker, I, so in the film, Fletcher tells Andrew that uh, Joe Jones threw a symbol at his head and you might've seen this in your research that that's not actually accurate. He didn't throw yeah. a symbol at his head. He do he did throw a symbol, but not at his head. He threw it on the ground as a way of indicating that he Parker needed to leave the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think that I, I wonder if Chazelle made a very deliberate choice in doing that because the first time we hear this anecdote is when Andrew's at his first rehearsal and they've taken a break and Fletcher's talking to him in the hallway because he wants to try him on, you know, on the drums for this song. And, and like, it's that first moment. I mean, there's so much psychological warfare going on in this film, Seriously. But yeah, but it's this moment where he, you know, is very candid with him and he's, it sounds like he's trying to, you know, sort of like fluff him, like, like get, make him feel confident and comfortable. And, um, and he shares that story with him about Joe Jones throwing the symbol at Parker's head. And then when Andrew is playing right after that, he grabs Fletcher grabs a chair and throws it at him. Mm -hmm. So it, and I think it, obviously it wouldn't have had the same effect if he just threw a chair on the floor, he's got to throw it at him. Right. So I'm wondering if Chazelle made that change in the story just to fit this idea because for him to and also can we just like side note jk simmons is so jacked in this movie i know i was like like, look at you in your little black t-shirt i mean i'm not gonna lie it's kind of sexy you know i don't necessarily think he's like the most but i but every time i see him like damn anyway (laughs) And just the fact, because those chairs are not light, you know, those aren't the kinds of chairs that you can just fling like a Frisbee. I mean, maybe they had like a special prop chair for him, but that's like no joke picking up one of those and just flinging it Mm -hmm. at somebody. But anyway, so I guess my point is, is that I feel like there is definitely this deliberate, obviously there's this deliberate, um, idea, this message being pushed through the film that this is, I'm going to make this kid great, or I'm going to see if I can, I'm going to see how he reacts to this kind of abusive stimulus. And if it breaks him down and he quits, then he was never meant to be great, you know, 
but if he pushes through and makes it, makes it through. Okay. Then there you go. I really liked your use of the term psychological warfare, because I think, I mean, that's exactly what it is. And like some of the things that he does that Fletcher does to Andrew are very blatant. Like, as you said, throwing furniture at him, you know, calling him and everybody in the band really derogatory things and just like constantly cutting them down. But I think he also does stuff that's way less on the surface to mess with them. And I, I sort of only put this together, like, as we've been talking, like, I feel like in the scene where Andrew is promoted to core, Mm -hmm. then like two minutes later, basically Fletcher introduces now a third drummer. Right. And I just kind of was like, it wasn't really about that person being good or like needing to have another backup person. I think he just did that to further motivate in a really fucked up way, Andrew. Yeah. And he even admits to that, but again, like, Oh, <laughs> but no, no, but, but he Whoops. said, so no, 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 because, well, here's the thing. It's so hard to take anything he says at face value because you really never know, especially after that. Like I said, that first time when he's talking to him in the hallway and he, you know, sort of like, it's almost like Andrew feels like he's connecting with him and he's going to mentor him. And then he just completely flicks a switch and he's someone different, you mm-hmm. know, and everything that Andrew shared with him about his dad and his mom Fletcher uses to break him down, yep. you know, to the point where he's crying in front of this band, you know, these, these musicians. Um, but he does say when they meet each other at the nightclub, this is after Fletcher has been fired. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, and he offers the, um, that drumming spot, to Andrew for that pro band at that jazz festival. And Andrew says, what about Ryan? And he go, and he says something like Ryan was just motivation for you or something to that Uh effect. But then, but then at the jazz festival, Fletcher's like, you think I'm fucking stupid. You know, I know you told, you know, so Mm -hmm. like, he is so manipulative that I don't, I don't know. Like he said that, but I don't know. (laughs) I, (laughs) sort of a little I mean it's still on topic because it's the movie that scene though where um Fletcher says at the jazz uh festival says like you know do you think I'm fucking stupid I knew it was you and then he introduces that they're playing a song that Andrew doesn't know Mm -hmm. was sort of like as much as you kind of hate Fletcher for or, or maybe you don't but I you know I was not having loving feelings towards him I was sort of like damn, that was bad. <laughs> a little bit. Right. Like, well, yeah, <laughs> it's just, yeah. It's like, a tr- you know, it's just a sh- complete shit show. And yet you're also just like, wow, you really pulled that off. Yeah. And I, I, I can understand that because I think there are times in the film when Andrew is not as, you know, he's, he's our protagonist. He's the one we're rooting for, but he's not necessarily you know, as I don't want to say virtuous, but he's, you know, he has issues too. I wouldn't say I was rooting for him. Yeah. I think he, I think part of the reason why he and Fletcher were butting heads so much is because their mindsets are very similar. 
And yes. I could see, I can see Andrew one day becoming a teacher in with the same way of treating people, because that's, you know, that's what happened to him and it helped him become this great drummer. I completely agree. I actually wrote in my notes that I think that Andrew and Fletcher are in some way, in some ways cut from the same cloth. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that I agree. I think that they are very similar in, in ways. Like I, I don't know if Andrew, if he were to become a teacher would be like Fletcher, but not like as abusive, but I could see him being kind of a dick yeah. because there are moments in the film where he's kind of a dick, you oh, know, for sure. Like to, like to Nicole. Um, although that's an interesting, you know, side, side plot because there, you know, it's interesting because Melissa, you know, as she's, when I, she's, you know, one of the top build actors in the film, but she's really barely in the film. I think she has 10 minutes of screen time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I always thought, I remember reading that and I always thought, no, that's not true. She's in the film for way longer than that, but she's really not. It's, it's actually a pretty small role, but I think, I think the reason why I feel like she's in the movie for longer is because that relationship, um, even though we really don't get to see much of it is, is a really good um, convention for showing us how Andrew relates to other people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, because like he's even on their first date, he kind of pisses her off. Yeah. Right. I forget yeah. what it was about. Was it was about, Oh, like her going to something about why she goes to Fordham or mm-hmm. yeah. And she yeah. gets super annoyed and then they're, but then they get over it. But yeah. Yeah. Cause like she's, I forget, I forget exactly what it is too, but yeah. Cause then she's like, well, why do you go to Stafford or Stafford? Schaefer. Schaefer. Yeah. <laughs> I did watch this movie. I promise. I knew you did. Well, it's not a real place, so it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. But, but the way, you know, the way he kind of puts her off in the, in, on their first date. And then the way he breaks up with her is just so robotic and, and just kind of mean, but in the same breath, we didn't really see that relationship develop much anyway. So, which is something else I think is kind of interesting about the film is that he's, and this I, I read and, and didn't realize until I watched it again this time, but Miles Teller's in every single scene, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. we're really, you know, we are getting his perspective. So maybe the fact that you know, we see his first interaction with her at the movie theater. And then the second time we see her, he asks her out. And the next time we see her, they're on this first date. That's kind of awkward. Um, and then there's that one time when he's on the bus and she texts him about like, when you get back, I can come over and he doesn't respond. And then he breaks up with her. Mm-hmm. So maybe we are very limited in what really goes on in that relationship, because to him, that relationship is not important. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, we're watching him break up with her and, and I'm thinking you're being kind of a dick, but, the, but at the same time, I'm like, but I mean, how involved, like how serious were you guys anyway? It doesn't seem like it. I, I agree, except I do think that I feel like his whole perspective on the relationship changes from the point when he works up the courage to ask her out, which I think is an important thing to mention because 
clearly she's someone that he's been, I think at least the film kind of gives the impression that she's someone that he's had his eye on for a long time. Like, you know, he says, I go to the movies with my dad and like, you know, presumably that means he's been, sounds creepy, but watching her. Yeah. Um, so it does seem like it could, and I think it was a relationship that he decided to pursue because he wanted it to go somewhere. And I think between the time that they like go on their first date, his, his relationship with Fletcher and his opportunities to play music really change. And as that gets more intense, then that's when she becomes less important. And then he just, you know, and his whole reason for breaking up with her is I can't concentrate on two things at once. And you just don't make the cut because that it doesn't matter. Yeah. But then like, why did you, you know, then why did you ask her out? I think that's the, that's the thing. Like why I think that it meant something to him at some point. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And I, and, you know, and thinking again, thinking about towards the end where he calls her and you can tell that there's regret, but you know, he's, he's too late. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's interesting too. Cause I do feel like that scene between like when he reconnects with Fletcher and then like, basically, so he, you know, he gets expelled, but so between, okay. So the start is he gets expelled. And then the end I think is when he realizes he's being fucked with at the jazz show. Mm-hmm. I feel like in that period of time, you feel like Andrew has like become less of an intense musician. He wants to still play. He still wants to be good at it, but it's not, he realizes like, maybe that doesn't need to be the most important thing in my life. Maybe it doesn't need to cost me everything. And then he's just right fucking back there. Like right. it's just, it's crazy. And that's why I feel like his relationship with Fletcher is just going to be like, he could be two different people. And I think, I think it's going to end up going in down the path that I wouldn't want someone I love to go down. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where the film leaves us for sure. There's Mm -hmm. that, that I think one of the most heartbreaking shots of the entire film is when Andrew is performing this incredible drum solo. And then we see this close up of his father staring at him through the backstage doors. And I, I think Paul Reiser is so brilliant in this moment because you can see this, this combination of loving his son and wanting to be proud of him, but also realizing that almost like he's lost him to the dark side. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like he was like, all right, he had that really, like, it got really intense at school, but now he's back. Like we're doing our movie thing again. It's going to be fine. And then he's just like, damn it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that scene, oh, that scene makes me so sad. That one shot makes me so sad. Mm -hmm. Um, side note, I am curious to know what popcorn mixed with raisinets tastes like. I bet it's pretty good. Right. Yeah. Like it's like the, you know, when you have like a salty and sweet thing, like chocolate, like a chocolate covered pretzel. Yeah. Yeah. Popcorn with raisinets. Maybe we should try it. I was going to say, I think we should try it. I think when we do our gremlins to Christmas in July, Uh I think we should make popcorn and throw some raisinets in there. Okay. Yeah. In. In. Let's not forget.
I know there's so many things that we say we're going to do and then <laughs> we forget. And then I listened to the, I listened to the recording. I'm like, oh yeah, we said we were going to do that. <laughs> I know we should, we should be better about that. That's eh. okay. Yeah. We're learning. We're learning, but you know what? I, I, I think we can make it happen. Yeah. Um, I had also read that the early treatments of the screenplay were actually more geared towards a psychological thriller, which I thought was fascinating. And I, and I read that before I watched it this last time. So having that in the back of my mind, I still feel, I actually felt like, you know what, this is kind of still a psychological thriller, yeah, but not in this, but, but different because, and I, okay. I don't know how I'm going to articulate what I want to say. One of the things that I do love about this film, I love many things about this film. Um, one of the things that I think draws me to it is the fact that it's about music. So I actually show this film to my film class when I do, I do a unit on musicals and I show this film, not because it's like a breakout and song and dance musical, but because the plot is driven by the music mm-hmm. and it's about music. Um, and so I think it's really interesting that that is kind of like the center of it all, you know, like everything revolves around music. Um, and the music itself is so perfect. And I'm not talking about the songs that they play, but I'm talking about the soundtrack, like the, the Andrews we'll call them training montages, you know, when he's practicing the drums and he's got blisters and he's bleeding all over the place. And by the way, um, the, I mean, I'm sure you've had like blisters that bleed and then you put a bandaid on and then the stupid bandaid comes off and you're like, what am I even doing? But you have to like the, the close-ups of the bloody band-aids and the blisters was just, oh, just like, it just like sucked me in. But the music that's playing in the background, it's just like these long cacophonous tones, like played by horns and, or, or I, I'm, I, I, you know, like a mix of brass, like basically the instruments that you would find in the studio band. Right. And then just the drumming and it's just constant. It's like this drone and it's so eerie, you know, and, and the lighting in the film is so eerie. Like the first time we see Andrew, he's in this dark black room and there's just a one like overhead light that's that illuminates him. And then Fletcher appears in the dark and he's all in black, you know, and you can barely see him. You know, we just see like a silhouette. And then we, I mean, this movie is really eerie. Yeah. 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 It is. Um did you read anything about like when they were trying to make it more of a psychological thriller, like blatantly, did you read anything about like plot differences or changes that would have done that? No, I couldn't find anything specific about that. Just that that was the original direction of the film, but I still feel like it has traces of that, you know, more so. And and I noticed it more when I was watching it this time around. I mean, I just thought the first time I, I saw it, I, I thought, I just, I really didn't know how to categorize the film the first time I saw it, mm-hmm. but watching it this time with that, knowing that I, I really felt like, yeah, no, this is, I think it still is in a way, a psychological thriller. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, definitely, definitely imagine, I couldn't even imagine being, 
either one of them (laughs) or any, any person in the band. I mean, what's interesting to me though, I mean, you do see scenes of him, you know, berating other people in the band. And he, you know, yells at that one guy. It basically chases him out of the room for being out of tune, even though he wasn't really out of tune. Mm -hmm. And I suppose it's because this perspective is Andrew's and the story is about Andrew, obviously, but it's interesting because it seems like Fletcher is really honed in on the drummer and like making sure that that drumming is so perfect. And I wonder if, if, he like was he trying to become a drummer at some point and he couldn't do it and so now that's why he's like super hard on this one instrument I don't know I might be reading too much into it and it really just is a matter of that the story is about one person that's that's really interesting I don't know I think I mean from a from a music standpoint the the percussion really is the heart of True. of the music if your drummer is off the band is off that's a good point yeah so i i think that you know if your drummer can't keep tempo your band can't follow you um so i i think that you know and 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 they and he refers to them as the core i mean i was i was in you know i i had i had experience being in different types of bands growing up and marching band and college go blue um but i you know and and it always comes back to percussion like if percussion's not on then everyone else is off but and we never really referred to it as core but like the drummer the pianist and and the bass like they're they're the rhythm section you know like yeah they have to be on point or everyone else gets thrown off so i could understand from that perspective you know putting a lot of emphasis on the drummer, but, um, but it is interesting because I, I don't, yeah, I, I mean, I am curious now that you say, I mean, again, we want the prequel, like why is Fletcher the way he is, you know, has he always been like that, but you, and we don't really know the only time we see him on the other side is when he's been fired and he's playing piano and the jazz club, you know, and we find, and, and I, I read that JK Simmons actually is a pianist. So, um, he is a musician, mm-hmm. but yeah, I like, I, I, I wonder, you know, there's that saying like those who can do those who can't teach, mm-hmm. you know, did he, did he fail as a professional musician and fell on teaching, um, which would kind of make sense because he doesn't seem to like people and you need to like people. If you're going to teach, I mean, he doesn't, (laughs) you should ideally, (laughs) ideally you should, but, um, and just because someone, and, and it goes back to this thing that I, I truly believe just because you're really good at something doesn't mean you can teach other people how to do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, you might've found this too, but I found an interesting quote from Chazelle talking about the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that this is quote, he, he wanted quote, <laughs> he was- <laughs> I put, I, I put the quote in the wrong place. Okay. <laughs> he wanted quote to inspire discussion and debate and not decide, are we happy for Andrew Neiman or are we lamenting his loss of humanity? The debate I love is how far is too far? How much is too much? Is it worth it? 
this kind of relentless abuse might not might be necessary and appropriate if you're training Navy sail Navy SEALs, but I don't know if it's appropriate in a music school, but it's there and it can be productive. There's no denying that. From my own perspective, I'd rather have a pretty girlfriend than go work with this guy and have my hands bleed all the time. I would have made a different choice. End quote. Oh my gosh. There's so many things to unpack there. Um, that first part, are we happy for Andrew at the end? I mean, the first time I saw it, I was, I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, go, you go. Um, but this time, especially after like reading some of the things that I did and, and looking at certain details really closely, it's like, I, I think I'm, I don't know. I guess if I don't know, my answer would be no. I think I'm concerned for him (laughs) at the end, you know, because you don't know, because I think what is suggested at the end of the film is that he is going to follow that. Like you had said, maybe he's going to become another Fletcher. Like he's going to go down this path that is going while he almost like he's sold his soul. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. 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 I, to- I totally agree. Like, I think the film basically, I mean, again, as the director said, like, it's a choice. Um, and he didn't want to say specifically what was happening. Um, but I think you're very much left to assume that Andrew is going to continue now playing with this band under Fletcher being the conductor. And that it just means that, like, I, I do think that also there's a couple parts in that last performance scene where Fletcher does do something supportive of Andrew. Like at one point he like helps him with the symbol. Mm-hmm. Like at one point he nods to give him encouragement. And I, in a way, I do think they've kind of accepted the relationship that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's almost like Andrew's way of saying like, you pushing me is helping you pushing me is getting me to be better. But then that's just going to be further encouragement for Fletcher to do it, which I just think like, I mean, it's the look on his dad's face, like realizing you're going to lose this person. This person is going to become a very different and damaged person in pursuit of this art, which is so sad. Yeah. I mean, it's like he's, his dream is becoming realized, but at what cost? Mm-hmm. You know, what is he, what is he losing in exchange for being the greatest percussionist ever? So that, exactly. Like, so that is a good segue to talk about the dinner scene. Okay. Um, so this is when Andrew is at his aunt's house or is he at hit? It doesn't really matter whose house he's at, but he's I at think a family. It's his aunt's, right? I think so too. Yeah. So they're at a family dinner and they're, you know, they're talking about what he's accomplished. I think like his other cousin or somebody, I'm so good mm-hmm. at describing. No, oh, yeah. Cousin. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is like talking <laughs> about some accomplishment he has and like is really ex- excited about. And so anyway, it starts this conversation and um, about what's important, you know, what's, what makes you successful. And Andrew's dad says, you know, I think Andrew brings up Charlie Parker and Andrew's dad says dying broke and drunk and full of heroin at the age of 34 is not exactly my idea of success. Mm -hmm. 
And Andrew says, I'd rather die drunk, broke at 34 and have people at a dinner table talk about me than live to be rich and sober at 90 and nobody remembered who I was. And his uncle says, ah, but your friends will remember you. That's the point. And Andrew's response is none of us were friends with Charlie Parker. That's the point. Yeah. Which is so, I get it. I mean, and yes, like people want, I think people innately want to be um, incredible and extraordinary and want to be remembered. But I also think that there's such beauty in like the small, simple things in life, the way that you can impact one person and change one person's life versus like being a gigantic asshole (laughs) and making good music. Like, you know, it's, and for me, who is like a music lover, and music has such an impact on my life. Like, I don't know, like I, it's, uh, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. Yeah. I, I, I also really like that scene. Um, I love that you, I love that you included that, that quote from it. Yeah. I, I just think that again, that's another scene that is so telling about who Andrew is. And again, how he relates to people, you know, this is family, but he, there is a disconnect there for sure. Mm-hmm. And I also think it's interesting because again, like I said, like he's in every single scene. So essentially I think as an audience, we're getting, we're seeing everything through him in a way. And I can also in that dinner scene, sense his frustration because they're praising everybody for accomplishments that they understand you know, because it's more, because it's more part of their culture, you know, um, not to downplay, you know, the father is teacher of the year, the, the one, the, the cousin who, uh, is having a great season is having a great football career, you know, and these are the things that, you know, like athletes, like these are the people that we idolize. Right. And there's Andrew and they're like, Oh, and how's your drumming thing going? You know, I I think he feels very belittled. Um, I think that he feels misunderstood and kind of invisible in that moment. So, and I think his only way that he feels he can make himself visible and assert himself is to be kind of pushy. And I keep saying a dick, but Uh, and it's interesting because it's like, he's, I think from their perspective, he's being, he's being an asshole, but, Mm -hmm. but from his perspective, he's just trying to stand up for himself and and explain like why he does what he does and why he loves it, why it's important to him and why it's just as important as being a star quarterback, you know, but, but yeah, but that, but that whole quote that you mentioned, it does bring up this other really important question that I think is part of that center of gravity of the film is that like, again, kind of going back to that, you, if you want to be great, fine, but what, think about what you're going to lose in the process. So is it more important to live a quote unquote regular life where you're not famous, you do good things, but you're surrounded by people that you love or, you know, be one of the greatest fill in the blank of all time not really have close relationships, but everybody will know who you are, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think most people want 
the former, and then there's that small few that want the latter. And of those small few, what are they willing to do to get that? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I feel like part of what Sean and I were talking about after we finished the film was like, but does it have to be one or the other? Like, why can't you do both? You know, like, and I guess, I mean, I guess there is the, the not having a distraction so that you really are putting in all your time and effort into becoming the best. But I don't know, like, I feel like there are people who are just naturally talented who could do both, but maybe, maybe that's the difference. Like they don't need to try as hard to be as good as someone who is good, but has to basically devote all of their time. Yeah. To be better. Yeah. And I think, I think that kind of goes back to our comment about how Andrew and Fletcher are very similar because neither of them value relationships the way other people do. So I think for Andrew, I don't think he, I mean, I guess you could argue either way, but I think for the most part, he doesn't feel like those kinds of relationships are important. You know, I, I don't think Mm -hmm. he really reaches out to Nicole. I think he reaches out to her. I think part of him kind of misses her, but I think part of him is also kind of like, well, my musician, my like music career that I thought I might have might not actually happen. So let me like reach out and see if this will go anywhere. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I almost Um, wonder if after then, like, you know, if there was one more scene, if it almost be like, you know, again, because it's implied that this, he will continue to play with this band. He will continue to work with Fletcher. I wonder if Andrew is like almost breathing a sigh of relief, like, oh, good thing that she wasn't available after all, because then I would just have to break up with her again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, honestly, that's one of the, that's one of the things that I love about this film. I, you know, when we were talking about it before, it made me think about um, when we discussed Jerry Maguire and how I think the movie should have been about Jerry and Rod and not Jerry and Dorothy Mm -hmm. and I like that this film isn't about Andrew and Nicole yeah I like that it's about Andrew and Fletcher Fletcher and the music Mm -hmm. and that's something that I really appreciate about the film as as dysfunctional as that relationship is I'm glad that they made that the center and didn't you know didn't feel the pressure to turn it into something else Yeah. Like, I'm glad that when he calls her, she's like, I'll have to ask my boyfriend. He's not really into jazz. I like that. She's unattainable Mm -hmm. and that, and that's not an option for him anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I love what you said before about, you know, this, the clues that Fletcher and Andrew are really not that different and, and kind of going back to the dinner scene, I feel like then later there's an exchange between Andrew and Fletcher at the jazz club when they've reconnected where Fletcher is talking about is talking about Charlie Parker and just like the conversation at dinner which is sort of about Charlie Parker but not directly I feel like even though they're talking about different things they're actually saying the same thing so I'm gonna read some more quotes yay um okay so Fletcher says I think he he's like talking about how jazz is dying um Mm -hmm. and so Fletcher says I don't think people understood what it, what it was I was doing at Schaefer. I wasn't there to conduct any fucking moron can wave his arms and keep people in tempo. I was there to push people beyond what's expected of them. I believe that is an absolute necessity. 
Otherwise, we're depriving the world of the next Louis Armstrong, the next Charlie Parker. I told you that story about how Charlie Parker became Charlie Parker, right? Andrew says, Joe Jones threw a symbol at his head. And then Fletcher says, exactly. Parker's a young kid, pretty good on the sax, gets up to play a cutting session and he fucks it up. And Jones nearly decapitates him for it. And he's laughed off stage, cries himself to sleep that night. But the next morning, what does he do? He practices and he practices and he practices with one goal in mind, never to be laughed at again. And a year later, he goes back to the Reno and he steps up on that stage and plays the best motherfucking solo the world has ever heard. So imagine if Jones had just said, well, well, that's okay, Charlie. That was all right. Good job. And then Charlie thinks to himself, well, shit, I did a pretty good job. End of story. No bird. To me, that is an absolute tragedy, but that's just what the world wants right now. People wonder why jazz is dying. It's like the same thing about nothing matters if you're not good. Yeah. And it's just like, I remember seeing, cause that scene that I just read happens after the dinner scene. And I remember like hearing Fletcher saying what he was saying. And the whole time I was just like, we already had this conversation and now we're having it again. <laughs> um, and I just thought, I thought, I mean, I don't know if I'm reading too deeply into things, but if it was intentional, I feel like that was brilliant. I'm sure it was. I, and it's interesting because when I, when I hear that conversation, it makes me think of, I wonder if there's another more like a broader social commentary being made about how we're so afraid to criticize people and in order to make them better, like, you know, everyone gets a participation trophy, Mm -hmm. you know, we can't tell anyone they're better than a, B or C or, you know, and, and, and I, and I even see it as, as a teacher, you know, when I, if I give feedback on, on an assignment, some students are okay with it. And some students think that it's the end of the world. And, 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 and like my, my credit, and I would never like tell them anything horrible, you know, but, and I, and I think I'm pretty like fair and kind about my criticism, but I think, people like today for the most part, and I could be wrong. I shouldn't generalize like this, but I, but I think there are a lot of people that when they're criticized, they take it so personally and they feel like that criticism defines them because we're just not, we're not brought up in a culture anymore where it's okay to say, Hey, you know what? That wasn't a good job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, but so I don't know. So I like in a broader sense, I, I, I can see where he's coming from, but I think he just takes it like to an extreme that is just so off the charts and, you know, again, abusive and just degrading and, uh, you know, but somehow someone like Andrew is the only person that can withstand it. Mm -hmm. Are you ready for categories? I'm so ready for categories. Okay. So just in case this is anyone's first episode, which also makes me laugh about how the prompt you gave me for saying I hadn't seen a movie or I have seen a movie. Like, <laughs> again, if this is so- <laughs> like what am I listening to? Yeah. By Where the way, we have like said the F-bomb more times in this one episode than we have like every other episode combined. I know. <laughs> every I know. time we drop one, I'm like, am I going to have to give it the explicit rating? Because I've never oh, done that maybe. before. Oh, maybe. I, I don't wonder know. If there's, like, um, I wonder if there's a count that you have to like after 
after you say X many expletives, you have to have a, I don't know, mature audiences only I, disclaimer. I think, I think I might have to do it for this one though, or, okay. I'll, or I'll bleep them out, but that's no fun and a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So, oh, also, I just wanted to share this film was shot in 19 days. Yes. That's crazy. Pretty incredible. That is yes. crazy. I agree. Okay. Um, so anyway, in case this is your first episode, Gina and I do a general discussion about the movie, and then we go through a series of categories and we give our answers for said categories. If our answers match, we get a point. And at every multiple of 20, I get to choose the movie. So we are currently at a total of 43 points because we scored two points during the best in show episode. So I have a ways to go, or we have a ways to go until I pick the movie. So I think I go first this time. You do go first. And may I say, before we get started, I, I have a good feeling about today. I kind of do too. Right. Which means we're either going to nail it or um, completely miss. Right. Yeah. It's one or the other. There's no in between. Mm-hmm. All, right. All right. Favorite character. I chose Jim Neiman. Andrew's dad. And it, from Gina's expression, I think she chose the same character. I did. Can you he's, tell from my happy dance? <laughs> he's the best. Yes. He's the best. I mean, as we talked about, like you watch his heartbreak, um, but you also the scene, I mean, I love Paul Reiser. So it was pretty like, unless his character like was murdering countless people and children and puppies, like I was probably going to choose him no matter what the character was. Um, but the scene that solidified it was when at the jazz festival, when Andrew first is like so mortified and embarrassed and he gets up, he's, st- you know, he stands up from the drum kit. He starts to walk off stage. His dad just like gets up, runs out, meets him at the door, like gives him a cute little kiss on the cheek. And he's like, let's go. It's okay. It was like, that's, that's who you want in your corner when these things happen. And you know, his dad's going to be there for him, even though it's going to like break his heart to see his son being treated a particular way or treating himself a particular way. Just such a great character. Yeah. I, I agree with everything you said. I, I have to say, I, I mentioned how, how great I thought Paul Reiser was in the film. I, I think if I could just speak to Paul Reiser's performance, I'm so used to seeing him in television sitcoms, like mad about you and my two dads. And, um, you know, and I know I've seen him in other films, but I, I love how he played this role. And, and I agree with everything you said. I picked him as my favorite character because of how supportive he is of Andrew. And I agree. I think regardless of what Andrew chooses to do and what path he follows, his dad's going to be there for him. Um, you know, I already mentioned how heartbreaking that scene. I felt that scene was of him watching Andrew with that drum solo and just that you can, you could see what he's thinking and feeling and all the emotions mixed in that one expression. And I also think that his character is so important to the story because he is the complete opposite end of the spectrum you know, when you look at him and Fletcher, cause here's Andrew in the middle, like, you know, he, I mean, he has a choice to make. He, like, I agree with what you, you said something earlier about how, like he has a choice. So, you know, and depending on which path he chooses, it's going to 
lead him towards one of these two men, you know, and they're so different from each other. Like they couldn't be more different from each other. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think like having that character, this, this loving supporting father who will do anything for his son, um, I think makes Fletcher's character that more villainous, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Okay. I chose for my least favorite character. I actually, it's a tie. Okay. It's my, my least favorite characters were the, the two other drummers, Carl and Ryan. Did you pick the same ones? I picked Ryan. Okay. Well, I think that counts. That counts. Oh my goodness. Two for two. Okay. You know, it's so, I'm sorry. I'll let you keep going. But when I picked it, I was like, this is such a weird, like if this answer is weird, why does it feel like a cop out? But I, but I feel so validated. No, I don't think it's a cop out at all. My, the reason why I picked both of them was because again, I mentioned how you know, we know Miles Teller's in every single scene. And I feel like because of that, we're seeing everything through Andrew's eyes and he sees Carl and Ryan as his nemesis, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that because of that, I personally do not like either of them. I think Carl and there's, and it's interesting because I think, I think all three of them have egos, but I think Andrew, there's something like, in not infantile, but there's something childlike about, I don't know, innocent about him in the beginning. Um, whereas I think Carl is very jaded. Um, and he like treats Andrew like, you know, like you're my page turner. Mm -hmm. Don't touch my kit, you know, like you tune this for me. Um, and Ryan is so like full of himself, you know, and I think, and it's interesting because I, I shouldn't love this scene, but there's a part when, when, uh, Fletcher brings Ryan in, you know, he says, Oh, we're going to, we're going to try him out and see how, how he does, you know? Um, and, uh, and so Ryan does his like double time swing and Fletcher's like, that's great. And, um, and, and then like, he says something to, and then he leaves and then Ryan turns to Andrew and he says, don't worry, his bark is worse than his bite. And it's like, no, it's not asshole. Like this guy's a a fucking lunatic. There's another (laughs) F-bond. You just got here. You don't know what it's like. No idea what you're talking about. And then when Fletcher makes them like, keep like rotating in and out, trying to get the tempo right for this double time swing. And you see them like, like Ryan and Carl and Andrew, they're all just like dying. They're exhausted. And they're like, totally like, I think they're self, they've just been like stripped away of any sort of positive anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of me is kind of like, that sucks. But another part of me is like, yeah, you guys were asking for it. And I almost feel like even though Andrew is suffering, I, it, I didn't feel bad for the other two drummers. Hmm. I did feel badly for all of them in that oh. one, like that <laughs> one scene. Cause they were all fine. Like it was all fine. You would have, you very easily could have had any of them play that part and it would have been great. Yeah. Um, but I, same, I chose Ryan just cause he was like so cocky and I was like, come on, dude. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm not sure we're going to score on this one. Okay. For best character arc, I chose Nicole. Okay. Um, for someone who only has 10 minutes of total screen time, mm-hmm. you get so much from her. 
you get like where she came from and that, you know, she chose this college and she's feeling sort of insecure about things and she doesn't have her major. Um, and same thing, like you see her completely in Andrew's eyes and you see her, you know, she starts as this like kind of mysterious girl because he doesn't know anything about her. He probably is just attracted to her because she's very pretty and cute and whatever. Um, and then you meet her and you meet her and she's like kind of shy maybe, or, you know, like very clearly just trying to figure it out. And, you know, in a story like this, you, and because you're seeing this character through his eyes, you see that, you know, generally the way that these things play out is that character only exists for the purpose of whatever suits the main character's needs. So, you know, he, you know, they date for a little while, he breaks up with her, she's clearly like pissed off about it. But when he calls her again, after he's been expelled from Schaefer, you expect that her she's that you expect that she's basically been waiting for this phone call and that when he invites her to this thing, she's going to drop everything and go. And she, and her response is, I'll have to ask my boyfriend. I don't Mm -hmm. think he likes jazz. Like, and, and you almost know she's bringing that up to be like, Nope, you missed your chance. I found somebody who thinks their time is that, that I'm actually worth their time And that it's just like so much for just 10 minutes. Yeah. I love that answer. Thank you. I I had a different answer and mine, my, I, I chose, I know, sorry, but I chose as my best character arc. This is a little bit of, I, I didn't pick a specific character, but more of an idea. So my, I, so I'm like, again, I, I feel like I, I play with this category a lot. So it's not a character arc, but it's an arc. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the best arc is the relationship between Andrew and Fletcher. And, and here's why. So here's something that really stood out to me this time around. I, for, for whatever reason, this particular viewing, I was really struck by the color palette of the film. Like I mentioned how our drinks match that very mm-hmm. like brassy kind of yellow hue that we see during those studio sessions. Um, but I was also, when I watched the film this time, for whatever reason, this was the first time that I noticed that Andrew was in all black at the end. And I was thinking about it. I was like, isn't Fletcher wearing all black through the entire movie? But then I remembered, I was like, no, when Andrew finds Fletcher in the jazz club, Fletcher is actually wearing like a light shirt, like button down shirt. So he's not in his like typical, like tight black t-shirt that shows his bulging muscles and everything. Anyway, so sexy t-shirt. So I, I went, so I kind of like went back and then I, I did a little bit of research. And so the colors that they wear are really significant. So in that first scene, when we see Andrew and I mentioned before how he's in like this dark room and there's just an overhead light on him and he's wearing this white shirt. That's the, the white is done on purpose because he's supposed to be like this very innocent, naive musician. But when we first see Fletcher, he's in all black mm-hmm. and Fletcher is in all black throughout the entire film. As the film progresses, as Andrew like gets invited into the studio band and gets sucked into this very dysfunctional relationship, his, the colors that he wears start to get darker and darker. And then after 
Andrew um, gets kicked out of the school after Fletcher is fired and they meet each other in the jazz club, they're both wearing these lighter colored shirts. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of like wearing the same thing. And then in the very last scene with them together, they're both all in black. So, and that's the scene. And that's the first time when instead of them butting heads where normally you have Fletcher in um, these, these like this, like black clothing with the really tight shirts. And, and he's like very like overbearing and domineering Um, there. It's like, this is the first time in the whole film at the end of the film when they're actually kind of like on the same page with each other, yeah, you know, and, and they're actually working together in unison in, in harmony, if we're going to use a a musical term here. Um, So I felt like those colors helped show this progression of their relationship as disturbing as the relationship is. I felt like, for me, that was the most significant arc in the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really good answer. I love that you always have that insight. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Oh. Um, for worst or least convincing performance, I chose Metz, who's the trombone player who thought he was out of tune, but wasn't. Uh-huh. And the reason why I chose him was because like I've, I've, I was in band from like fourth grade through my senior year of college. I dated a trombone player. I know what it looks like when someone plays trombone. This guy wasn't playing trombone. No. So when he like (laughs) brings the trombone to his mouth and you hear like the, like I could tell just by his embouchure, I'm like, you are not playing this instrument. And it really bothered me because all of the other, cause I read that all of the other musicians were actual musicians. Like they weren't actors. So every other, every other person, whenever they would, you know, show other people in the film playing, even Miles Teller, who was a drummer. And I read that he practiced like four hours a day, three days a week for, I forget how many months or weeks to prepare for this role. They're all actually playing and it's really authentic. And and I appreciate that because I'm sure, you know, like if you know what it, looks like and feels like to play an instrument and then you're watching someone pretend to do it yes and I get that and it's not convincing I hate that so much but yeah me too I played the viola when I was in elementary school and middle school and like to this day if someone is on tv or in a movie like playing a violin or a viola and they're not playing it right it makes me so mad yeah can I tell you sort of as a side, you know, the movie, 10 things I hate about you. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know how, like I barely play guitar. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's that scene where during like that, like montage where everyone's sad and she's in the store and she's playing that guitar that she wants to buy, but doesn't buy. And then like Heath Ledger's character comes in and, and he sees her playing it and she's got the headphones on. So she doesn't know that he's standing right there. And she's just like playing notes. She's not fucking playing the guitar. Another F bomb. <laughs> and it drives me like, like, it's not even close. Like it's not even close to like, I don't know what she's doing. I don't know why they couldn't like teach her. Hey, this is what it looks like to play a chord. I don't know. It was just, which so- also like, Oh my God, it drives me crazy. That's not like rocket science to mime. No, but it's just so bad. Anyway, so that's something that I love about this film is that you have actual musicians who are actually playing. So it's so real and I appreciate that. But come on, Mets. 
Like I know. Even Ryan, the actor that played Ryan apparently didn't actually play the drums and he had to like learn three songs in a month. Yeah. I was convinced that he could play. Same. Yeah. So Sonia, what's your worst or least convincing performance? I chose Sue Ann Spoke, who played Aunt (laughs) Aunt Emma. Like I I don't know. I just like wasn't wowed by her in that scene, in the dinner scene. She just like had some lines and it was like, (laughs) it just kind of fell flat. Yeah. She was very forgettable. Yeah. Sorry, Sue Ann. That's okay. But for best performance, maybe, I don't know. I think you're going to pick Paul Reiser. I chose Miles Teller. Oh, (laughs) <laughs> he was my second choice because oh, no. he's in I mean he's in as you said before he's in every single scene mm-hmm. um I think also like he has to do very intense drumming in basically every single scene mm-hmm. but I think you also see his character go through pretty much any emotion you can think of you see him happy you see him sad you see him angry you see him feel completely tortured you see him panic like I just I think he did an incredible job and again that role must have just been so 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 demanding emotionally physically psychologically yeah yeah I I he was my runner-up I almost picked him but I just couldn't I couldn't not pick J.K. Simmons Oh, okay. Because he's, he's just so good. And I, and I almost feel, I almost feel like that answer is a cop-out because he won 47 awards for this role. 47? 47, including Ooh. best actor, uh, or best supporting actor best. I think maybe it was best supporting. I don't know, but he won an Oscar for this role. I feel like it was best. Not. Uh, anyway, but yeah, he's just, he's so, he's so good in in this film especially i just feel like the way he he even tricks us as an audience you know those moments when we feel like he's being really vulnerable and sincere he's not you know there's mm-hmm. just something mm-hmm. like and but then at the end like you mentioned the final scene when andrew is playing and he actually goes over and he fixes the symbol and he Um, And you can tell like, he's like encouraging him and, and kind of like leading him and guiding him. And there are just so many things about his performance that I, I, I just can't ignore that I feel are so outstanding, but I will say like, I even put in my notes, I want to say that Miles Teller was phenomenal in this film. Um, I think like there's this great I feel like he finds that balance between like being tormented, but finding room to be a little narcissistic (laughs) at times, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. Um, And I think one of my favorite moments in the film is towards the end when he gets back on that kit and he starts playing and Fletcher's like, what are you doing? And he just mouths to him, fuck you. And, (laughs) And then the part when Fletcher, and then Fletcher goes up to him and is like, what the hell are you doing? And then he just smashes a symbol and it goes up in his face. And just the way he does it, you know, it's like, he's, he's fully come into his own. And, and again, like that, I think that all ties in with what I was saying before about the development of their relationship where he's finally his equal. And I just think he, he did play, damn it. I don't know why I didn't pick him as best character, best performance. Now that I'm talking and I'm like saying it out loud, it's too late. It's too late to change my mind, but he's so good. 
But J.K. Simmons is so good. Yeah. I have a question for you. Okay. Do you think that, like, in that last scene, so much happens and not a lot is said? But Mm -hmm. as you said, it's like they're equals finally. And you're seeing that in that they're wearing the same color. Andrew is like, doesn't give a fuck and is just like, you know, acting out basically. And essentially seems like he's now earned Fletcher's respect to the point where Fletcher is now helping him. I wonder if that means that actually going forward, their relationship is going to be different. I maybe more collaborative of a partnership. I don't know. I wonder. I would, you know, when, as we talk about it, I, I think that that is one possible outcome for sure. You know, because Fletcher even says that he, all he, like all he's ever wanted is to find the next Charlie Parker, you know, <laughs> and now he has it. Yeah. You know, he, he did it. Like, well, I hate to say you did it, but cause how he did it was really messed up. But like, now he has that. He, he, I feel like he's like achieved this thing that this goal that he's had. Yeah. So I could see it being, I could see it being one of those relationships where it's collaborative, but they still piss each other off. Yeah. But, but what's interesting about Andrew, when you see, like, it seems like based on what we're shown in the film, all the other musicians in the studio band, they don't even make eye contact with him, with Fletcher, mm-hmm. right? They're mm-hmm. always looking down when he yells at them. They say nothing because they're terrified. Andrew's really the only one at a certain point. And I think it's when, um, when there's the whole thing with the bus breaking down and the car accident, you know, but before the car, when he gets there and, and Fletcher's like, you know, you lost it. The, the spots, you know, right. You're not, you're out. And, and, and Andrew's like, that's bullshit, you know, mm-hmm. like, and he's just like, it's my part. I earned it. I deserve it. Like, I think that that's if correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's the first time where he really just stands up for himself and gets in Fletcher's face. Yeah. I um, think so too. And then from that point on, oh yeah. Cause then later on he tackles him mm-hmm. on stage when apparently he broke two of JK Simmons ribs. <laughs> I saw that. Him. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm going to, I'm, I think I'm going to try to think that positive ending that, you know, they're still going to have their, their fights, but they're in a better place and they'll be able to work together in a way that's less intense. <laughs> I like this idea. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm on board with it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. My, uh, you lost me at, um, okay. So this is, this is a question that I had. So Fletcher tells Andrew about this JVC gig and he says, it's a couple weeks away. Drummer is not cutting it. Do you want the spot? Like we're doing, we're doing all the, we're doing all the, the, the list, the set list from, you know, studio band, you know, all the stuff. And Andrew's like, yeah, sure. So it's a few weeks away, but Andrew's not going to rehearse with them <laughs> at all between then and the actual performance. <laughs> That's really a good point. Like that was the only part of the movie. I mean, the movie's insane, right? But like, Mm -hmm. that was the only part of the movie where I watched it this time. I was like, wait a second. He said, it's in a couple of weeks. Like, why would you not rehearse with the band? I mean, and I understand why he doesn't because then Fletcher gets to do his whole, like, I knew it was you, you know? to like mess with him and embarrass him and humiliate him in front of this audience. And, and these people who could potentially like help his career, like I get it, 
but that was the, that was like the one part of the film where I was like that, I, that doesn't make sense to me. So I read in that in the original screenplay, Andrew does practice with the band. And then you see that the band actually never had a drummer, which is interesting. Oh, but, I mean, presumably maybe he did practice with the band, but they just didn't practice that one song. Okay. I don't know. Because huh. then when, because then when Andrew takes over and he's like, I'll count you in. Yeah. And he's like, caravan, they know it. Which yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe because it's a common song that's known. I don't know, but like maybe, so maybe they did practice together. I don't know. He, and that's interesting too, because I, I was thinking the same thing, but here's something that I've seen before. Okay. So this is, this is a little anecdote. My senior year in high school, every year when I was in high school, we always had a, a band trip, we called it. So like, you know, the band would, we would go to like Boston or Virginia and we'd play in these festivals and they were competitions. And I think it was my senior year. I think we went to Boston. I think it was Boston. It doesn't matter where that's neither here nor there, but we were in a shopping mall and my best friend, Marty played bass in our jazz band. And Marty is a phenomenal musician. He's so talented. And we went to this shopping mall and there was a jazz band playing there. And Marty and some of my other friends asked if they could play with them. And they were like, oh, yeah, so sure. Cool. And it was just like this small band, you know, you had like your, there was like their, their, uh, their upright bass and they had their saxophones and their trumpets and their, you know, it was just like a small, like ensemble. And so, and so they get up there and, and they were just, they, they turned him right. They're like, pick a song. And then he just started strumming the song. So what? And it has like mm-hmm. this, like bass pickup in the beginning. And he just, and, and as soon as he played those notes, the guys in the band were like, oh yeah. And then they just started playing it. Yeah. I feel like they're like, I wonder if they're like, and I, so seeing that like made me feel like it it made it seem possible to me that Andrew didn't rehearse with them because like maybe caravan is a standard. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and they were like, oh, okay. We know this song. Or, I mean, there's also, there are also, I've heard, I don't know this for a fact, but I've heard that there are certain musicians who just like improvise and Mm -hmm. jam and like, you know, maybe (laughs) exactly, you know, like maybe, (laughs) maybe, maybe every time they play a song, it's like not quite the same, but you can figure it out. I mean, I've, I've just heard about this. I don't, I don't, I've never seen it ever. There's like the standard like chord progression, yeah. You know the basic melody, but then yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh. Uh-uh. Well, my you lost me at moment. So my runner-up, you lost me at moment. I I referenced before. It's just like all the derogatory language was just like, God, you're a dick. <laughs> um, but my actual you lost me at moment was the car crash or mm-hmm. the car accident. So first of all, that shot is super cool. The way yes. that it like hits the car and then you kind of like roll the camera like rolls with the car. Yeah. Um, but I mean, look, I understand the point of this film is to show that this person will stop at nothing to get the opportunity to play, to be the best. But I don't know. I feel like even if you're that motivated, if you just got in a car crash and your like head is gushing blood you would be like, I think I'm going to sit this one out. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It was too much. I get it. I, I think like going back to the whole psychological thriller 
idea, like in that context, it makes sense. But yeah, but if you don't think of the film that way, it it is extreme. It's really extreme. Yeah. Yeah. Like you could die. Like who knows what injuries you have. You could be yeah. internally bleeding. You need to go to the hospital. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Not Andrew. No. Because he wants to be the greatest. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) My you had me at was just all the all the actual scenes where you get to see them playing music. (gasps) Was that yours? That was mine. (laughs) Oh my God. It's oh my goodness. It's so enjoyable. And I'm not, I mean, I don't dislike I, I like jazz. I don't seek it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I kind of wish I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was just like, it, it was so good. It was so good. Yeah, I agree. I, I loved it for the nostalgia because it brought me back to being in band and orchestra mm-hmm. and marching band and sitting in those rehearsals. Um, I, I just thought, I thought Giselle just got it right. You know, like they're just even little details, like seeing the, the woodwinds, like wet their reeds and, mm-hmm. and like the, the brass players empty their spit valve and the close up shots of the instruments and the players. And, and again, like I said earlier, these were actual musicians, not actors pretending to be musicians. So it was just so authentic. And it, it just, it, for me, it transported me back to when I used to play. Um, and, and I just thought that was delightful. And then Fletcher would fuck it up. Yeah. Well, but even that too, like, um, that was authentic too. Like all the false starts and stops that Mm -hmm. you have when you're in a band or an orchestra, because you are trying to perfect like one part and like one person isn't getting it right. And you just keep having to do the the same thing over and over again that I I was taken back to (laughs) my orchestra days. Yeah. Right. And, And I have to say like anytime Fletcher would stop and they would all stop. I always thought to myself, they must be really terrified of him because I rarely sat through a rehearsal where when the conductor cut us off, everyone just stopped. Like mm-hmm. some, like some people always just keep playing and then the conductor gets pissed at everybody. And then, and then everyone talks while he's trying to like instruct one of the sections. And it's just like, I've never been a part of a band where, I mean, where, where like everyone was so disciplined that when the conductor cuts you off, you, you stop or you die, you know? Yeah. 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 Basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. My favorite line. So I have a runner up. Okay. And, and it's taken from the dinner scene that we were talking about earlier. And it's when, uh, Andrews, I guess it's his cousin. I think that's what we're, we're deciding. Um, who's the football star. Um, Andrew says something is like basically belittling the cousin for being a football player and how it's like, Oh, it's only a D three school. And, and he's like, you think it's so easy. Come play with us. And then Andrew says four words. You will never hear from the NFL. (laughs) And I was like, I was like, burn. That was a good, I did like that line too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I picked as my favorite line. This is when Fletcher and Andrew are at the jazz club and I can't remember if you said this line before when you were going through his whole thing about, you know, trying to find the next Charlie Parker. I think you did, but he says there are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. Mm -hmm. 
I picked that as my favorite line because I feel like in a lot of ways that line really is the center of gravity of the film. I, I feel like everything, everything that happens stems from that idea that by just patting someone on the back, even when their performance was crap and saying, no, 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 it was, it was good. Um, like, what are, like, how are you helping that person mm-hmm. become better? If, if they indeed want to become better, you know, there are people that don't care, you know, and they don't, they don't necessarily want to be better. They just want to participate. They just want to do the thing and they don't care if they're good or bad at it. Um, but, but if someone really wants to be good at something, just telling them that they did a good job every single time isn't, it doesn't make anybody better. And again, I said before, I think Fletcher takes it to such an extreme that is, you know, very upsetting. Um, but I, that's the line that every time I watch the film, I'm like, okay, I'm kind of like, part of me is kind of like, I mean, I get what you're saying, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. Like I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. Yeah. It's just that you don't have to be an asshole. Like you can right. give constructive feedback. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's all you got to do. Not that hard. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to contribute to our F-bomb count with my favorite oh, line. Okay. So my, uh, my line is from the scene where I keep wanting to call Andrew Charlie now. Isn't that funny? That is funny. Um, where Andrew is breaking up with Nicole and he's going through his whole reason why. And like the whole time, you know, he gives whatever reason and she's like, and you can't be, and you're not great. And then he's like, well, I want to be better. And, you know, I just feel like if, you know, we stay together, I won't really be able to spend time with you. And she's like, because you're going to be doing like spending all your time doing this other, like you can just tell like she's just like what is happening like I cannot like if you want to break up that's fine but if this is the reason why you're an insane person mm-hmm. and so she finally you know he says to her whatever the end of their breakup scene you know and I think we should be to- we shouldn't be together anymore and she just responds what the fuck is wrong with you you're right <laughs> you're right we shouldn't be dating yeah 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 that's part of her arc, right? She's it like, yeah. is part. Of, it is part of her arc. I'm over it. I like. Yeah. I I do like that. She kind of she. Even though he's the one that breaks up with her, I think. As a instead of her begging, like, no, wait, let's try work it out. I can be really flexible. Da, 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 da. Well, exactly. Yeah, like instead, exactly instead of being like, look, it won't. You know, I totally get it. I'm cool with whatever time you need and whatever spare time you have for me. Like. She was just like, go fuck yourself. There's yeah. Oh my gosh. I think I'm going to put in our episode description that there are a lot of F-bombs and I'll give yeah. it the explicit rating. Yeah. <laughs> and then next time we'll try not to curse at all. Or maybe we should just curse in all of them all the time now. I mean, I think it's okay. I listened to that podcast, last podcast on the left and literally every episode is like, this was nothing compared to that. And I don't okay. think they do an explicit warning on theirs. I'll have to check. Hmm. We'll have to look into this. Yeah. All right. All right. So we scored three, three points. This is fantastic. 
So we are now at 46 total points. Oh my goodness. Okay. We're moving mm-hmm. right along. Mm-hmm. Well, Sonia, before I tell you what our next movie is going to be, do you have any final thoughts or comments about whiplash? Whiplash. Whiplash. Um, <laughs> that was fun to say. Right? Um, I don't know. I feel like we talked about so many things. I mean, I'm really, I'm really glad we watched this movie. I read that this was like the lowest grossing best film nominated movie. And I can see why only because like on the surface, you wouldn't think that there's going to be much to the film. Right. Like, you know, if even my revised summary, you're like, okay, it's about a music teacher and a, drummer like what how much could that really be about um so I think if anyone thought about seeing this film but then decided not to you should it's you know going going into it knowing it's going to be like an emotional psychological roller coaster there's just there's so much there's so much to talk about I agree. And, and I would recommend watching it with somebody so that you can talk to somebody about it. Yes. Immediately (laughs) after. after. Yeah. Even me movie, not lover, like needed to talk about it right away. (laughs) (laughs) And also like, I feel like sometimes during the movies that we watch for the podcast, Sean and I will like have like talk about thing like have exchanges usually about the movie. mm -hmm. I feel like we like were silent because we were both just like, what? is happening. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think just the fact that you watched it the whole way through is a (laughs) testament to how good the film is. Yeah. I feel really good about myself because I feel like I finally picked a winner. (laughs) (laughs) You've definitely picked other winners. I don't know. Sally. (laughs) Oh, that was a good one too. The Matrix. Pretty Woman. The Matrix. Yeah. I still love the Matrix. Major League. Oh yeah, that's right. You loved Major League. I did love Major League. Yep. Oh my gosh. And if you're just tuning into our podcast, check out all these episodes because they're amazing. They are. All of them. All episodes are amazing. Right? All right, Sonia. Well, we're going to move on from Whiplash. Okay. And I've picked a different film. This This is a departure from what we've just watched. And I picked this film because... I just learned in our last episode that you have not seen this movie yet. And oh I gosh. am so surprised. I assumed you had seen it, but you didn't. And it took me by surprise. It caught me off guard. So Sonia, the next film that we are going to watch is Jacob. Tummy roll, please. The 40 year old virgin. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I feel like I could already like sense all the problematic things that we're going to be talking about. I don't think it's as problematic as you think it's going to be. But Sonia, what is the movie about? Steve Carell is 40 years old and he has not yet uh, encountered the physical act of love with another human. So he meets some friends or something who find out that this is the situation he's in. And they're like, determined to help him get laid. Um, and so then like one of the things, for example, that they help him with is a, he gets his chest waxed and then he yells something about Kelly Clarkson, which I, I do know was improvised. (laughs) So fun fact before the episode. Um, and I'm assuming at the end, 
this is going to go either one of two ways. He's either going to have sex and it's going to be like, yay, mission accomplished, or he won't, but he'll realize it's okay. It doesn't define who he is. Okay. That was actually a pretty good plot summary. Thank you. <laughs> I'm really, I'm so excited. I love Steve Carell and this movie's very funny. I, I know I just said it's not as problematic as you think it's going to be, but do you take that back? <laughs> no, I don't take it back. I don't take it back yet. Because when I rewatch it, I I really don't think it's because I think the film. Well, I'm just going to save my commentary for for next week. So those of you who if you're tuning in, you'll just have to wait until the next episode with bated breath. To, yeah. And I'll tell you what I've been thinking this whole time. Oh, I'm excited. Way to grab them, Gina. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, that's the end of our episode. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at NNSIPod. And if you enjoy our podcast, tell your friends. They can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Like and subscribe and all the things. And join us next time with your cocktail at the ready when we talk about the 40-year-old virgin. We'll see you then because we've got lots more to watch. And I've seen nothing. So please keep listening and we'll keep watching. Bye. Bye.